The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I am Maureen Metcalf, your hostess for the day. I am the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work as an executive advisor, a consultant, speaker, coach, and I'm also the author of an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate or update how they lead. I also serve on the faculty of universities in the United States and Germany. I'm really excited that today Gary Weber will be joining us again. Gary is a subject and collaborator in neuroscience studies at Yale the Institute of Noetic Sciences, the Bauman Institute, the Center for Study of Non-Symbolic Consciousness, John Hopkins, and Penn State. And what I take away from that is your brain must be really interesting to be studied that much. They <laughs> think so. So we'll, we'll find out why in a minute. So a little bit more about Gary's background. From 2000 to 2004, he was responsible for all technology transfer operations for a university, including angel investing, venture capital, licensing, patenting, and startup support. He supervised seven organizations that included startup support and financing, as well as three economic development organizations providing support for regional businesses covering the central region of Pennsylvania. He was responsible for external industrial R&D contracts and interfaces with the university. Before that, Gary was responsible for corporate R&D with four research laboratories including approximately 1,000 engineers, scientists, and tech folks with a budget of $260 million. He also served as a member of their executive committee. Since that time, he's been researching and writing about happiness beyond thought. He's applying his extensive research skills to helping leaders and their employees become more, more effective through building an ability to focus and manage their thinking. And what I can say personally is in my interactions and uh, work with Gary, that I am becoming more focused and clearer in my thinking. So I continue to invite him back largely because this stuff works for me and I'd like to share it with other people. So the context of the show is that as we are as leaders and as individuals, humans, walking around on the earth, are in a time of unprecedented change. And part of our challenge is how do we take the opportunities that this volume of transition creates for us as business leaders and as people, as communities, as families, to 
way we operate and solve some of the bigger global problems we face and also operate our organizations more effectively. So today, Gary and I will talk about leader ego development and development beyond ego. And I realize for a lot of people, ego is a thing we don't talk about. And so I'd like to connect that to level five leadership as described by Jim Collins in Good to Great. And one of the things that Colin talks about is level five leaders are humble and tenacious. And what we believe from a research perspective is that we build that humility through our ability to transcend ego. Not that it goes away, the goal isn't to kill it, but to recognize it, have a relationship with it in a way that it does not control us. So humility ends up being a mindset as well as a behavior. It's not something I'm going to go practice. It's something I am. And that comes through this ability to transcend traditional ego structures, and that becomes a foundation for this level five leadership. So, Gary, let's uh, have you talk a little bit about, again, give us a bit of a background about yourself, and then let's talk about how we change. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Maureen. Um, you, you really covered about myself. Um, my main drive in this work that I do was trying to see if I could control this self-referential internal narrative, uh, which goes on this blah, blah, talking all the time in our heads. Uh, if you look at that very carefully, uh, you can see that, in fact, it's all ego-driven. I mean, the whole uh, endless stream of talking about forecasting the future or remembering the past uh, is nothing but the ego trying to come up with stories about uh, what occurred, what's going to occur, what dangers and fears we have in the future. And that's not productive. <clears throat> if you look at most people's consciousness, 90-some percent of it is around nothing except this uh, egoic, self-referential internal narrative. It's episodic, uh, autobiographical, and it goes on continuously in our lives and uh, arguably makes our world uh, the mess that it is right now. So the question is, can we, uh, how, how can we, there are many techniques to use to get that ego more right-sized as opposed to being uh, gigantic like it is now, and really take a close look at it. As you said, it's something that we tend to not discuss. We take it as a granted. But in fact, you can, uh, if you go out and look into it carefully, you can dramatically decrease its interference in your processing, interference in your planning and problem solving, and uh, function more effectively. I think it's going to be required going forward. So as, as I listen to you, one of the things I, I think of is in our resilience model, and, and all of us need resilience as we're, again, dealing with the volume of change in our lives seeming to accelerate, that the internal conversations, the managing the self-talk, managing my thinking, can really change my ability to show up and focus and be effective rather than being distracted. And also that the idea that my negative thinking impacts my physiology, right, that, that I become less resilient because the, the thought patterns that I have, and I, I don't know about others, most, many people I talk to have similar, the self-talk is the negative stuff. And by getting a handle on that, I'm 
able to be more present. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, I, I didn't realize, most people didn't, I don't think, that you could actually watch your thoughts and eventually get control of them. I mean, one that's what's come out of our neuroscience in the last, say, 15 years has been the fact that uh, we know exactly how this egoic uh, narrative uh, is generated, what parts of the brain it passes through, uh, how you can modulate that, and how we try to find ways to uh, more constructively change it. Uh, if you just begin watching it carefully, and there's some very simple techniques we've talked about before, like you just ask yourself a very simple question during the day, like who am I or where am I? You just give you a, just a chance to step back for a minute or two in the stream of your day and look and see what this ego is up to. Uh, and can you find a place where this ego is? And just begin to bring it into question. There are lots of ways to go after it more aggressively, but just to begin to look at it and realize that you can change the very nature of that self-referential internal narrative. You can make it less uh, destructive. You can make it uh, less uh, likely to spin up from a small you know, upset into an enormous problem that runs your life, drives your day, even as you try to get work done and try to accomplish things in the, market, in the marketplace, that you aren't uh, sucked into that. If you get sidetracked with this narrative, you're going to lose a lot of your capability to be present with your customers, with your clients, with your employees, with your partner, spouse, friends, whatever. Uh, you're someplace else other than being with them in that moment. So it's really critical to find some way to begin looking at it and evaluating it and just questioning, do I need the size ego that I have or can I get by with something less? And so, again, as I listen to you, I think of when I started engaging in this process and paying attention to my thoughts, and it was uncomfortable and a little embarrassing, I don't know if that's the right word, to realize all the stuff that's going through my head. That when I start paying attention, there's random stuff, there's some of it I wonder where it comes from, and then there's some obsessing about, am I going to meet my deadlines or be good enough or all of those things that seem to live in my head. And what I hear you saying is that stuff's not necessary and there's a way to move beyond it and it just goes away. Well, you can and it does as you say. If you just begin watching it, at first it's kind of, as you say, you know, terrifying and disturbing to think, oh, gee, what's happening up there? And you see that it's completely random, uh, out of control. And as you watch it, as you've done, you can see, well, a lot of this is really destructive. It's really negative. It is, you know, the big problem that I think I have in my life. And is it really true, these stories that are happening up there? And as you begin to get into those and ask these simple inquiry questions like, where am I? Just for a minute or two at a time in the course of your day, you can begin to see what's going on and recognize that this narrative uh, isn't helpful, and it isn't even about the problems at hand. The narrative is about something that happened yesterday or might happen tomorrow or something that happened weeks ago or months ago. It has nothing to do with your being effective in your workplace right now, doing your job, meeting with your employees or meeting with your, your family. 
to have your life run along effectively. You can't afford to lose all of that bandwidth, 90-some percent of that bandwidth, to this useless narrative that's doing nothing except drag you down, as you point out very aptly, that actually also you know, affects your well-being. I mean, you cannot uh, sleep as well. You can't eat as well. You can't be present for your day as well if you have this narrative going on continuously. And you can dramatically cut down the energy that it has and the amount of negativity that's in it and even how much there is. If you keep persisting in this questioning, this looking at the eye, trying to understand this ego structure that we have and why we have it, why did we develop it, and is it really useful for me now or can I get by without it? So let's go to that, that idea that why did it develop? And it, it, it sounds like as we evolve as a species, it just isn't as important, and as leaders, it's actually detrimental. Yeah, I think it's important to realize that as near as we can ascertain, this ego, this I thing that we have, uh, is our up and I just say a piece of software right now that we're running, is only 75,000 years old, which is an eye blink evolutionarily. We broke off from chimpanzees 6 million years ago, and only in the last 75,000 years have we even developed this, this I, ego. So it isn't something that you have to have to function. We did quite well for you know, 5 million years plus. Uh, this allowed us to begin to assign tasks. As we got more and more numerous, uh, there were lots of competition we had from other members of, uh, of the homo uh, family. And as we could assign tasks, you know, we could decide who was going to go out and kill a zebra, who was going to go out and eventually plant the crops, harvest the crops, uh, take care of the crops, take care of the children, uh, fight off the enemies. As we began to get more and more numerous and assign tasks to different people, we got to be much more effective. And this development of this egoic structure, this eye structure, enabled us to just sweep the planet. Uh, we just dominated the planet. And it, all, the, all of our competitors we're gone. And so now we're in the situation as we can look around our world today and see, is this thing really working for all of us? I mean, certainly if you look around at whether our governments are functional, whether our religions are functional, useful, helpful, uh, whether or not our, our very way of getting through the day is the best way to operate. Clearly we have many things playing upon us now. Terrorism, for example, is up tenfold since the year 2000. I mean, there are many things that aren't working, and if you look back at what's at the root of these, there's an ego sitting there with storylines that it's running to drive this bus. And it's driving it in the wrong direction. It may have been useful for a while for us, but now clearly in today's massively interconnected world with the high complexities that we have to try to support and maintain this egoic structure that's really driving us the wrong way is not acceptable. We have to find a way out of this structure, modify it some way so we can evolve forward as a species. I think that's the next step in our evolution is to get this ego right-sized and to get this self-referential internal narrative down dramatically so we can use our bandwidth for something that's productive and healthy. So I'm going to then synopsize what I think I'm hearing. Developing this ego was an evolutionary step forward from chimpanzees to humans, and it has allowed us to become the civilization that we are right now. Mm -hmm. And so for 75,000 years, this was progress. 
And yet now, as the world is becoming more complicated and there are more of us on the planet, we need to, again, make the next step, like we did from chimpanzees to humans. Now it's humans to whatever the next step is. And part of that evolutionary move is attending to the ego structure, the internal conversations, how we manage and make sense of it's sense making, right? That those internal conversations, often unconscious, drive my very ability to make sense of what's happening. And as I can step back and recognize that they're almost random thought generators, then I can I have the capacity to to be not victim of whatever pops into my head, but I can reframe and re-choose how I think about things. Did I get that? Yeah, exactly. It's also very important for people to realize that they think, well, if I lose this narrative internally, I won't be able to solve problems. But in fact, there are two very discrete brain circuits. One does this blah, blah thing, this self-referential internal narrative. The other one does the work, solves the problems, uh, you know, plans things. Uh, that's the tasking network. This tasking network carries on the best it can without all this inter- with its interference from the blah, blah, blah network. And if we can deactivate that one network, the one that creates all this self-referential internal narrative, it can fall away. It can be very quiet and peaceful inside, which is what my normal operating state is. And your brain then is free to do all the planning and problem solving it needs to do in whatever way it wants to do it. You can still language in, uh, I, I need to get to the interstate, but you don't get into a discussion about exactly how fast I need to get there. If I don't get there soon, it's going to be a tremendous problem. My boss is going to fire me, etc. Those are very different. Those are two very different brain circuits. You can actually, in fact, shut down, deactivate dramatically the one that creates this internal narrative and allow your planning network to operate skillfully. It's really getting the ego down dramatically. Ego is not required to problem solve and plan. In fact, it gets in the way. But in this other narrative, it is. That's what the ego is, is about. Perfect. Thank you. Let's go to break here. This is Maureen Metcalf and Gary Weber, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, talking about how we transcend ego through the lens of brain research and looking at actionable steps to, to move us forward in our own leadership effectiveness. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, 
online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is Maureen Metcalf and Gary Weber, and we want to refocus or focus now on specifically what can I do? So as a leader, I want to become a level five leader. I, I hear you that I've got this conversation going on all the time. Uh, many of us, I think, are aware of it and aware that when we obsess on something, if that's the right word, that it depletes our energy, and yet I may not have the tools to actually manage it well on a daily basis. So can you help us understand what we might act, what are the concrete steps I can do? Well, if you can, the, the best best thing to do, one of the pretty important things, you kind of touched on this in the last segment, is to analyze and say, do I have a big story going on right now that's causing me these problems? Look at whatever your story du jour is. There what's going on today that's, ca- that's really driving the bus. Watch your thoughts and see if there's one particular one there that's causing a lot of the upset. And then just ask yourself, is this true? Is this story that I'm telling myself true? Just as nakedly as that, because it may not be true. What Mary said may not be uh, causing you great distress and cause you to lose your job. Uh, you can imagine all sorts of things. Ask yourself if they're true, one. And the second thing is ask yourself if this is a helpful thing for you. Is this an old story from long, long ago which didn't matter then and it doesn't matter now even more? Do any of these old stories that you're telling yourself do anything for you? As it turns out, this really matters with regard to the ego because the ego, most philosophers would tell you, is really constructed from old stories. 
these old stories that we are told by others, we've taken on board ourselves, stories about who we think we are, what we're good at, what we're not good at, uh, where we've been weak in the past, how we're going to fail in the future. Uh, those stories are what we are. That is our ego, that is our I that we construct and who we believe we are. But in fact, if you begin to look at those stories, you can take those stories one by one and begin to look at them intellectually from a cost-benefit analysis and say, hey, this old story I have that my grandma told me when I was seven years old, is that useful anymore? Or this terrible trauma I had when I was 14, is that useful to carry that memory around anymore? Because you don't have to carry that memory around. You can look at it carefully and just say, do I need this? Is this helping me in my day-to-day now? Is it really? So I, I want to jump in at this point. One of the tools I use with almost all of my clients and also with grad students is this idea of competing commitments where we bring to consciousness, I say I want to manage my career more effectively. And yet when opportunities come up, I don't step in. So I have some unconscious fear that I'm not good enough or the stuff that runs around in most of our heads. And, and to your point, it could have been the result of something my grandma said when I was five. And it's fascinating to listen to people in conversation about, as we unwind this, the awareness that it is often a second-grade teacher or somebody early in our lives that told us we weren't smart enough, we weren't competent enough, we'd never amount to anything. And those words go into our little young person, second-grader, third-grader, whatever, subconscious, and that thought drives much of our adult behavior. It, It often remains unconscious and is the cause of us missing a lot of opportunities. And I think that's, I think I hear you saying that's what you're pointing to, is us identifying and unraveling those voices that have influenced us that I can't even call up to memory. I just know I don't feel good when this happens. Exactly, and that's the very nature of of how we build this ego over the course of our lives. Uh, What what happens, there's good research on this, is in fact these stories that we stick together, that I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm I'm not social enough, or whatever words we use, you could just look at that, grab that story like we just talked about, and, you know, say, what what does this, is this true that I'm not, not good socially? And does it help me to have that story? Because it's just a story. And as you uh-huh. say, if you can just hang with that for a little bit and just be present with it as you ask this thing, is this particular story that I'm not social enough, is that true? And you may feel something come up, like you said, that'll be from way back in the past, something will come up out of your mind. It'll say, well, my grandma told me that when I was seven years old. You're no good with other kids or whatever it was. Uh-huh. And you can feel that. And amazingly, we evolved, fortunately. If we can unravel that story and say, oh, it's just what Grandma told me when I was seven years old. It doesn't matter anymore. That was one particular incident long, long ago. Life has moved on since then. But I'm still carrying around this identity code, which says not social enough. 
And that's that stuck there because it just so happened to be at a certain time we had that experience that the brain waves were passing through at a long frequency of brain waves that would actually entrain that particular story. Out of the millions and millions of stories we've had, we've only grabbed hold of a tiny portion of them, accidentally assembled. We've built this eye out of almost randomly assembled pieces of information and old stories. And if you can bring those stories up and look at them, very likely they're false. They were just haphazardly put together. And that's who we believe we are. That's our ego, is this belief set from all these old stories that we think make up what Maureen or Gary are. And in fact, if you look carefully, they're old stuff, old news, not of any value anymore. Don't apply. So this says then that I can completely reframe or significantly reframe who I believe I am in the world. I don't have to be a victim of domestic violence or and I think of some of the, the big stories that, that we have that keep us stuck and we keep secret. That I can reframe entirely that story and that changes how I choose to react to a situation when someone now comes at me in a, in a way that in the past I responded as a victim, now I can respond as someone who is an equal and not willing to be victimized. Yes, and it changes everything. I mean, it changes not just what you just talked about as you reframe it and how you respond to things, but in fact it's running all the time back there in the process or someplace. There's this, you're not social enough, you're not social enough, you're not good enough, you're this, this, that's running all the time back in the processor, non-consciously, but it's running back there. You can feel something's dragging you down, you don't know what it is, but if you can bring it up into consciousness and look at it in the light of day, this with a clear, is this true? Is this useful anymore? Then that can slip away. I, I deal with a lot of people who've had a lot of Terrible things done to them in the deep, in the long past. You know, sexual abuse, physical abuse as little kids. Uh-huh. And you start to look at that, and, and that's what's running their life right now. I mean, that runs their life, and it's been decades ago. It's not going to happen again. It's not going to be a problem again. You're not six, seven years old again. I mean, it's a whole different world. And you can free yourself from this ego structure that you uh-huh. have that's very destructive and holds you down, holds you back, and you aren't even sure what it is, but you can get back into it and open up into it, then the whole thing can start to unravel. And as you lose and lose that lockdown, that code that it has, mm-hmm. you can find yourself getting freer, lighter, more open, responding differently with people, working better with your coworkers, with your subordinates. Your life can dramatically change. And, and you're talking about something different than psychotherapy. When you yeah, say get into not, it. I'm, I'm not a therapist. I, I disavow that completely. I, and I just wanted to clarify that if someone's listening, we are not talking about sitting on the sofa talking about our childhoods. No, not at all. It's not at all. In fact, it's much more immediate, much more DIY, much more do-it-yourself. If you can just pull up an image of, you know, a parent, say, and just let that image just rest in consciousness for you know, 15, 20, 30 seconds and see what mm-hmm. comes up and see if there's a story coming up there. And if there is, just see, is this story about something that happened to me in my distant past true? Is this story useful anymore? 
I, I'm not that person from 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Life has moved on. Uh, stories are no longer useful. You can do this yourself in minutes. It doesn't require paying somebody $250 an hour to sit for three years and talk about it. Because that, that, to me, people I see, have, most of them have been through psychotherapy, and it hasn't worked for them. They haven't really gotten directly into this challenging the ego. Very few psychologists want to engage in deconstructing the ego, and I, that's where the real problems are. The other thing through our conversations is I, I'm deconstructing the ego, but I'm also and I'm also changing the neural pathways in my brain. Yes, exactly. I mean, we, 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 you can see as you begin to do this work that that's what happens, and you can you can watch the brain release these old stories because they're locked up in neural networks of cross, crossing linked together. Uh, Net, uh, neural networks, and as those those networks start to unravel, if you get something gets seen as to being a no longer useful story, all the neurons that are clumped together around that story begin to let go. They were locked together, and you have believed this thing very strongly. And if you recalled it many times, then those neurons get more and more tightly bound together. The networks get stronger and stronger tied together. As you begin to look at it and open up, amazingly the brain will start to let go of this. If you say, I don't need that story anymore, it's not useful, the brain starts to let go of it. It's only holding it because it thinks you believe it's useful. If you say, no, it's not useful, then the brain starts to let go of those networks. The networks begin to open up, the brain starts to restructure, and piece by piece, segment by segment, story by story, you'll begin to open up. You don't have to get to every story because the brain learns after a while, look, it can get rid of these problems. These things that have tied it down for decades can be just let go of, and it feels good. We've evolved a good dopamine pleasure response if we let go of these old, old, tired, hard, mean stories. We can do this ourselves. This is not, this is not something fancy beyond what I was talking about. It's very easy to do, and you can do it yourself. So I am literally when I engage in this process, and I have been engaging in it, rewiring the, the networks in my brain. So as I, as I think when I'm late for a client because I get lost, they're going to fire me, I'm an idiot, this just proves I'm an idiot, I'm able to say, no, you're going to be five minutes late. Five minutes late. You're not an idiot. You're not going to get fired. They value you, you value them, and you made a mistake. That then changes, uh, and these, uh, I realize for m many of us, and myself included, those stories happen many times a day, whatever it is that, that I'm telling myself I'm not good enough. So I am now paying attention and rewiring every time one of those stories comes up. Absolutely. And you, see, if you, you, you watch how fast, like you were just saying, if you're late for a meeting, how fast stories pop up. You can see, oh, you're an idiot. You've always been like this. You can just feel those stories pop up. You say, well, is that true? Is it true that I'm always an idiot? It can't be true. <laughs> it's not true. I am not always an idiot. It's an absurd story. It, and yet, when I do that, when I tell myself that, then I have the fight and flight hormones kick in. Uh, I tense up. I'm not thinking as clearly. So being able to identify that in the moment 
and, and deal with that moment seems foundational. And what you're telling me and telling us is that not only am I dealing with my immediate issue, but I have in that moment the opportunity to start changing my brain. And it happens automatically. Just as you engage that, say, you're an idiot. You say, no, I'm not an idiot. Is that true? No, I'm not an idiot. I'm very successful. I've had many, many successful meetings with clients, customers, whatever word you want to use, but have been very successful. Look where I am. I've been very, I, this is great. I'm not an idiot. The brain says, not an idiot. The brain says, oh, that's true. You know, you're not an idiot. <laughs> and so it, it goes back to the, the, the you're an idiot network and says, look, guys, this is not correct. This is, this is old news. It's not correct anymore. She's been very successful. All these great things have happened. This is not true, so let's get rid of this story. And it starts to deconstruct that. You don't have to do anything yourself, and the brain gets it. If you say, no, that's not true, and you recognize it's not true, it doesn't feel true, it isn't true factually, then the brain says, okay, fine. And it goes back and starts to deconstruct that network. This may be a, you know, a network with many branches to it that won't all unwrap in one, in one visit, but it starts to become deconstructed. And the brain has this comparison now to work with that this story that was taken this fact before, you're an idiot, isn't true. It has no basis in reality. And it begins to deconstruct the network all by itself, just by knowing that you don't care about it, you don't believe it anymore, it's not true. So on that note, let's take a break. And when we come back, going more into the ability to physically rewire our brains and how, as leaders, we care about that because it helps us be more effective. So, Gary, thank you. We will be right back after a break. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. 
For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Gary Weber talking about brains, how we change our brains, and how that impacts us as leaders. So because we are a leadership show, I want to bring this back in a very concrete way again. As a leader, I hear that this is interesting, but how will it help me do my job better? Why should I invest my precious few minutes a day to do something outside of work or my reflection time on this very thing and how will it impact my effectiveness myself and and also with the people that look to me to lead our organization effectively? Well, I I think some of the things we believe about being a leader, we believe we have to be very egoic. We have to be strong, uh, driven, uh, sure of ourselves at every possible turn. And, in fact, mm-hmm. if you watch, many corporations have been have run that way historically. That's not yeah. working anymore. The millennials will not accept that. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about exactly this fact. The millennials will not accept that kind of an egoic structure. They want to be listened to. They want to be engaged. They want to be involved in meaningful work. And they, want to be, they don't want voicemail. They say they do not want voicemail. Because they don't want to be told that way. They want to be listened to. They want you as a leader to be present for them without demanding them to do something, telling them why it should be done, explaining it to them. If you can be present with them as opposed to coming from a, look, I'm the boss here, just do it or you're fired. Uh-huh. You can let go of that egoic structure, this this command and demand structure, and get into a more participative, open even friendly structure with your subordinates, your coworkers, and say, look, uh, I, I'm here. I don't know all the answers. Uh, I have a question about this particular project or this problem. Can we work on this together and understand what's the best way forward? That's mm-hmm. what's going to work going forward. Uh, the old way is not going to carry it anymore. People are too smart. They're too well-connected. They're too uh, exposed to so many other possibilities that we have to let go of this, I'm in charge, and I'm going to tell you what to do, and you just need to listen and get on with it. Uh, That's not going to work. It's not going to work with your family, with your partner, with your friends, and it's not going to work with your subordinates or your customers. If you go into a customer and demand they behave a certain way, or a supplier and behave they demand a certain way, then, in fact, they're not going to do that. I mean, it used to work. I was on both sides of that for many years. And the, the command and demand structure eventually ended up in bad relationships. And ultimately, the best work, the best uh, innovative work that we developed went someplace else. 
I ran into it with the OEM, U.S. OEMs. I ran into it with different suppliers in the paint industry. I mean, it really matters a lot how you treat people. Many companies are used to bullying uh, their suppliers, but in fact, mm-hmm. ultimately, it works to their disadvantage. They end up the best best material, the best products, the best services, end up going someplace else, and they end up with yes, at the lowest cost, but they may end up with a very inferior product and inferior service. So, to me, I think you've got to find a new way to operate in this world. And to me, it's much less egoic than it used to be. You can't command and demand like we used to. So a less egoic structure will get you better luck with the millennials and with all your customers than what we used to do. So this, for listeners who who have heard about the developmental levels or levels of maturity, this is actually a developmental move or a level of maturity shift from command and control, I'm in charge, I have the answers, I'm going to tell you what to do, to a more inclusive, not that I don't have the answers, but I call it the shift to the mind of the scientist, Mm -hmm. that that I'm constructing experiments, I'm getting input, and I interact differently. I am much more open and curious and inclusive in, in how I work. And so this is part of that shift is than attending to ego and attending to my brain structure, yes? Yeah, absolutely, and it's necessarily the way it's going to be. I I was in GE when Jack Walsh was in power, and we dropped uh, span. We increased span. It used to be one person supervised two people, supervised two people, but then it went to like one had to supervise seven or ten. And what that Uh really did was show us, in fact, how many people weren't doing anything worthwhile, one, but it also made you manage differently. If you have to manage 10 people and you're in a knowledge-based enterprise, a creative enterprise, you can't possibly, you can't possibly be an adequate person for each to replace each one of those 10 people. You have to listen to what they have to say to you. They do know more about their project than you do. They have better understanding of it. They have better connected with the outside world about that project than you are. And so you really have to come to them in a less egoic command and demand way and be open to understand what they're talking about and work with them on this. Get the teams to work together that way. Be careful about you know having somebody take over and say it's going to be my way or the highway. You've got to get the best minds working at their best level. And it doesn't happen if you beat them in the you know, submission. You've got to somehow be with them, be present, listen to them, sincerely listen to them, put your ego on hold for the meeting, and just see if the meeting doesn't go better. See if win-win's not better than win-lose. Okay, so this raises an interesting question. As a leader working in a large organization that that is trying to grow, but we still have vestiges of he who pushes hardest wins. If I choose to do this kind of development and move, help my ego grow up, in essence, right, mature into a different way of being, does that mean I'm going to be the one that gets stepped on? Because the people around me aren't, quote, growing up. No, it doesn't. I mean, it, I mean, it used to be that way, perhaps, of the old militaristic command and demand structure, but it doesn't work anymore because the leaders, as I say, the spans have gotten wider. There's more information. Nobody can grasp all the information. So if, if you insist on being the person making all the decisions yourself, you're going to find you don't have the information. 
You just do not know what you're talking about a lot of the time. And before long, people discount you. They begin saying, you know, Harry never doesn't know what he's talking about most of the time. This project is over here, and Harry's over there. He just doesn't have the information that's current right now. He can't possibly get it all himself. He doesn't have enough bandwidth and time to do it. He has to listen to others, or he's not going to have useful information, and eventually he's going to lose his job. So the environment corrects itself. This is an adaptive, this is Darwinian. Uh, in another way. It used to be Darwinian because I'm the strongest person. I can tell you what to do. I'm above you in the hierarchy. This is now, look, this is a knowledge economy. This is a knowledge world, information world. It is not a power world. You've got to find out how, how can I get the best from my people? How can I work with them in a way that's conducive to, to their growth? And can they grow along with me? Can we grow together about this thing? And you can change that. But you've got to step down your ego and recognize your limitations and, and understand you're not in, really in charge here. Okay, so I want to shift slightly. You talked about something happens. I have a feeling. We've agreed I need to manage my ego, and, and how I do that is paying attention to the conversations, asking questions like, is this useful? Is it true? and then replacing that message. So I do that. I identify that I, when I'm going to the meeting and I'm late, I'm, I'm not an idiot in that moment. And yet that same thought comes up the next day. How long does it take to un, un, undo in my brain these pathways? And why are we built that way? Because it seems like now that I now that my brain knows this, it should just stop. And yet, this seems to be an ongoing encounter with these thoughts. Well, it, it depends on exactly how you can imagine how how painful the trauma was that induced that story, okay. and how deeply embedded the story is, and how long it's been a story. If you mm. recall that story over and over and over again, like I'm an idiot story. It has lots of connective networks built up around it. It's going to take a lot of visitations back again. It'll get weaker and weaker each time, perhaps, but it will take a while to unwind it. If it's a simple, short, easy one, it'll go away more easily. But you just go back again and again and again and just watch if, in fact, it doesn't change with time. It can change fairly quickly. If you focus on the story and keep going back, and every time I'm an idiot comes up, visit. Be with it. See what's going on there. And then take a breath. You know, just take a, two or three breaths. Let's say you go into a meeting. Just take a couple of breaths when you sit down in the meeting. And don't be in such a big hurry to burst out with your directive for the meeting. Let the meeting develop. Give yourself a few breaths to collect yourself. Be present with where you are, how your body feels like. Then just be there. And let what arises naturally in you come forth. And if you get stories coming up, just let the stories go away. Ask if they're true and let go of them. But let you make an effort to be present all the time. You watch yourself through the course of your day. Just keep asking yourself, am I present or am I someplace else? And see how often you're someplace else and not in the meeting, not with the person you're talking to, not with your partner, not with your boss. You're someplace else in your head. Just watch that process happen and say, am I present? Am I here right now? And often for me, I'm not. 
And I would assume almost again, nobody that is. most people that's true. But almost nobody is. We, we mentioned this before, but you're almost never there. Most people in most meetings are someplace else. They're not even in the meeting. And the same thing with the meetings one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-fifty. They're someplace else. And so just ask yourself, am I in this meeting? Am I present right now or am I someplace else? And you'll find you're almost always someplace else, which brings you back into, I, want, I need to be present in this meeting. I'm in this meeting for a reason. I need to be here and show up. So on the pace of change piece, when we met recently, you talked about why our brains are slow to change. And and the idea that you brought up was so much of what we do is habit. If I changed too quickly, I would also not be able to hold those habits of I put my pants on before I leave the house in the morning. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of research on, you know, why we are the way we are as a species from, say, 12 to 30 years of age. I mean, okay. that, that, we're unique in having that very long maturation period. And what it allows us to do is our species then can adapt to any environment. So we spend basically from 12 to, say, 22, 24, when the brains mature for men and women differently, women sooner than men. So it's, you know, roughly offset by 10 or 12 years. We do nothing except try to understand our environment, see how we can best operate in the environment, what works in this environment, what doesn't work in this environment. That's what we do. And so at about 22 to 24, 25, depending on on, on, uh, whether you're male or female, the brain says, okay, we got it now. We've got this thing locked down. And what we're asking it to do is we begin to look into this egoic structure. The egoic structure is part of that. As we say, well, we'd like to change over to a whole new structure over here. Well, the brain says, hold it, whoa, whoa, whoa. We've been doing this now for a dozen years. It's working pretty well for us, not perfect, but pretty well. But so why should we change to that over there? So the brain isn't going to be very anxious to, to move to Maui unless you can show it enough pictures of Maui. If you show it enough pictures of Maui over and over and over again, it will eventually recognize that that's a better scenario over there. But it's not going to move quickly because it spent a dozen years coding it in, this is Darwinianly evolutionarily locked in, locking into this environment. If you say, I want to go to this place over here, Bowie, different from where I live now, then in fact I've got to somehow convince the brain it's going to be better. The brain has to convince itself that that's a better solution, a better way to live, a better way to be present in this world, a more effective, less painful way to exist than what it has right now. So you do these stops. You ask, where am I or when am I, you know, two or three minutes a day, five, six times a day. If you have time, sit down and ask yourself those questions in the morning or the evening. And just begin to ponder that and see if, in fact, the brain doesn't get into this. After all, the brain sees a much better way to be and to exist than the way it's been living. But it isn't going to move until it sees it has a better path to go to, a better place to go to. If you show it enough pictures, it will eventually decide that's a better place to go. And it'll go there, but it's not going to happen overnight. Thank goodness. If it kept flopping, okay. That's so at this point, I'm going to uh, move us toward wrap up. Okay. So let me summarize and jump in if I'm getting this wrong. So to become a later stage leader or a level five leader, one of the things that's required is I need to understand my ego and go through these processes of observing the internal conversations, observing the story getting a handle on it first, just paying attention. 
And then second, asking the questions continually. And this starts to foundationally rewire my brain. And it is through that rewiring that I, as an individual and we as a species, actually start to evolve and become more capable of being present with what's happening. So that changes my approach as a leader and as a person. So I'll be more effective not only in the office, but with my children, with my spouse, with other people around me. So I want to thank you, Gary, for joining us. And for our listeners, please keep in touch. Send messages to Gary and I. Gary, what is your email address? Uh, G-A-R-Y dot W dot W-E-B-E-R dot one at gmail.com. So if you have questions, either filter them to me, info at metcalf-associates.com, or reach out to Gary. I would love to hear recommendations for future topics. If you have other questions that we might create as an interview with Gary, please let me know. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 